I've been thinking a lot about stories and how helpful they are for our own growth. In a sense, much of what we try to do with this podcast is give space to hear others' stories. My guest this week is James Brian Smith, the founding director of the Apprentice Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation at Fringe University. In his new book, he explores the gospel story, asking the question, is our understanding of the gospel full of beauty, goodness, and truth, or is it covered by a distorted narrative? He's been taking a deeper dive theologically and brings us some interesting ideas. His book is titled The Magnificent Story, Uncovering a Gospel of Beauty, Goodness, and Truth. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Jim. Yes. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Nate? <laughs> I'm good. Good. You you got a new book out. I have a new book out. Yeah. And it's yeah. and it has a I told you it's got an amazing cover. It's a great cover. Yeah, yeah with a cool. cutout and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I, I mean I, and I took the jacket off and it's still It's know. still cool. Yeah, it's got yeah. a nice got the bird there. <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is going to be number 1 in a trilogy. Exactly. It's the first of a, of a new trilogy. Yeah. Apparently I like writing in threes or something, or I it's like a, the Trinity or something. It's a good number. Yeah. It's a good number. It's a good number. Very good number. Yeah. And, and this one, you're working with story and the transcendentals. Yes. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, and the gospel. And the gospel. And the, yeah. I'm curious, could you give us a little background in terms of your uh, interest in the transcendentals, beauty, goodness, and truth? Yeah, it started about six years ago, and I kind of um, stumbled my way into it. I I was reading um, a chapter in a book by a guy named Mark McIntosh, and he kept quoting this guy, Hans Urs von Balthasar, mm-hmm. um, Catholic theologian, uh, 20th century. I found him fascinating, so I started studying Balthasar, and then I found out that the guy that wrote the chapter about him, Mark McIntosh, was at Durham in England, University of Durham. So I started a, a PhD program with Mark studying Balthazar. Okay. And so that really kicked in five years ago. And so as I'm reading the Transcendentals, which are beauty, goodness, and truth, that Balthazar used as his as sort of the skeleton of his of his theological work, um, I was blown away. I mean, I had mm. never thought about beauty, goodness, and truth and, as it relates to the Christian life. Mm-hmm. And as I was doing that, uh, I started to see that the transcendentals had a lot more to say than just uh, influence the Christian life here and there, but that actually the, the way we understand what I call the magnificent story, which is the, the big God story, um, has to be beautiful, good, and true. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, don't trust it. Don't, put, don't give your life to it. So that's how I got started in it, and uh, I never intended to write a book about it. I thought I was going to write a, a dissertation that no one would read about it, <laughs> but instead I found myself kind of drawn to – I was thinking, boy, people need to know uh, how incredible the transcendentals are. Mm. And 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 even then, when I first started writing the book, I, I didn't think – I was. I thought I was writing a book on those three, but it turns out I, I, I just – I think the Holy Spirit kept saying – it's all about the gospel. It's all about mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. Gospel. The way we frame the gospel mm-hmm. has been so shrunk down, and and it's not wrong. It's just there. There's they're just incomplete versions of the gospel, mm-hmm. and they don't pass the test of beauty, goodness, and truth. Mm-hmm. And 
So that's that's kind of where it came from. And you work in this with our narratives about the gospel, butting them up against, is, is there beauty in this? Is it goodness? Is it true? I mean, talk about the connection you make between the gospel. Yeah, yeah the connection that I make is that um, the, go- the, the typical gospels that we hear, and there are several, but I'm just going to go with three, if that's okay. That's um, good. Three is a good first, number, Jim. Yeah, and I'll, it is. A, there we go. <laughs> uh, the, the way I – the church I grew up in was a very liberal Methodist church in, in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And the minister didn't believe in the resurrection, for example, or that okay. Jesus was the son of God. Uh, he called the Bible Hebrew, Hebrew mythology. So, it, But it was a church of good works. It was a church of being good people. Mm-hmm. And it was really a social, just, social justice kind of church. And I'm not sure how my family ended up going there. My dad wasn't sure what he believed. He thought science was was more important than superstition, as he put it. So we didn't go a lot, but that's the church that I grew up in. So I was familiar with that approach. And I just found it wanting after when I was 18, I kind of went on a spiritual search and I thought, this isn't working. for I mean, this can't be all there is that he was really kind of a, a deist, like there's maybe a God. And this God, you know, the watchmaker thing, he wound up the clock and we're just spinning on this pale blue dot trying to make it a little bit better before we die. Something mm-hmm. I thought, that's not enough. That's not, to use the phrase, a magnificent story. And so then I actually came to Christ through uh, a guy who was, a, he was, was in Denver. He was a part-time street evangelist, part-time fireman, which is kind of cool. Uh and he would just meet with me and, and talk about Jesus. And so as I started, wait, wait, a street evangelist, the guy on the street corner yelling at people. No, not that kind. He was, um, he just would try to be in public spaces and, and create relationships with people. Okay. And, uh, he actually, he, he went to an athletic club I worked at. And when I told a friend of mine that I was on, on a religious search, she said, you should talk to that guy. Cause I think he's an all spiritual mm. Christian guy. <laughs> so that's how I met him. And we hung out for a summer and, he gave me C.S. Lewis's Mere um, Christianity. And by the end of the summer, I thought, this Jesus is compelling. I mm-hmm. just am really drawn to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, Jesus, if you're real, I'm going to let's do this. I'm going to give you I'm going to open my life to you. Mm-hmm. And that stuff started happening. Right. You know, a skeptic would call it coincidence. But from the moment that happened, literally for the next two weeks, all these things started answers to prayer. The Bible made sense. And I was like, I dig Jesus. I'm totally. And so um, after two weeks of that, I thought, I think I'm a Christian. Hmm. And I I didn't have a church connection or anything. So I did what I saw Christians do. I went to a a Christian bookstore and I bought some Christian jewelry because I knew that Christians, (laughs) they like jewelry. So I got a fish necklace. And and so I went off to college, University of Northern Colorado up in Greeley. And... um, I, I met a guy that I knew in high school, played sports against him, and he had, he had also just become a Christian, invited me to a fellowship, and I started going to this you know college campus fellowship meeting, and I, I liked it. I thought, this is pretty cool. I'm with other Christians. and But then a guy who was – he worked, worked for a parachurch college ministry. He heard you know I was a new Christian, so he wanted to check it out and get to know me. So he took me out for coffee. And while we're at coffee, he says, so tell me your story. And I told him the story I just told you about the street evangelist and C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis. And, and the jewelry. Jesus And the jewelry. Look, and I'm the in. Necklace. I'm in. <laughs> and so uh, he's, when I got done, he said, well, that's a nice story, but you're not saved. Oh. And I said, well, I said, really? How, 
what do you, what, well, first of all, what's saved? Because I didn't, I had, didn't have the Christian lingo. He goes, well, if you, if you died, you would, you would burn in hell. You, oh. you wouldn't go to heaven. I said, wow, this is bad news. And so he goes, well, let me, let me tell you the good news. And he essentially gave me that, the, the gospel of, you know, you're really horrible. Mm-hmm. You should burn in hell. Jesus took your beating. Uh, if you prayed to him as Lord, then you can go to heaven when you die. <laughs> and he had a he had a little tract, a little pamphlet. So I thought he was legit. Uh, <laughs> when you have literature, you know, it gives you weight. And so um, I said, "Well, what do I got to do?" And he said, "Well, you got to pray the prayer." And it was right on the back of the tract. <laughs> and so I said, "Okay." So I prayed the prayer, and then I came up and I said, "All right, so I'm saved." And he goes, "Well, for now." And I was like, <laughs> Well, wait a minute. What, what do you mean? I can lose it? He goes, well, yeah, you can lose it. If you, and he lists the sins that I could commit and the things I could do and falling away from God. And, and you know, <clears throat> but that version of the gospel, which is a very common way of explaining the gospel, to, particularly amongst evangelicals and some conservatives, I bought it. That was what mm-hmm. I thought was the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I found that reinforced in churches as I continued to go and, uh, I went to seminary with that understanding of the gospel. I went mm-hmm. into ministry uh, with that understanding of the gospel. <laughs> and um, at a certain point, it was the sort of the Dr. Phil kind of thing. How's that working for you? <laughs> and it wasn't working for me. And I was ready to leave the ministry. And, uh, you know, I just I basically said to God, uh, you know, I, I'd rather, I think I'd be happier selling insurance or anything else. But this this mm-hmm. this just feels wrong. And God was faithful again and began bringing people into my life that began, you know, started opening up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the fullness of God's love. People like Brandon Manning, Rich Mullins, and then certainly, obviously, Dallas. You know, we started Renabare and got to start hearing this crazy philosopher from California talking about the kingdom <laughs> and started thinking, wow, maybe, maybe the gospel is bigger than that. And then start reading Balthazar and reading others and going, maybe it's bigger than, than that. And so that's when I began to see that you know, the first gospel I mentioned would be um, it's kind of a good works gospel. And it's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Mm-hmm. And the second gospel is really focused on substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not wrong. Jesus did die from our, our sins and he reconciled us to God. And all that's true, right? The cross did that. But it's if you narrow it to that act. If you mm-hmm. narrow the gospel to substitutionary atonement by itself, you've got an incomplete story, an incomplete gospel, and it that which is uh, a reduction always becomes a distortion. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found, Nate, was that, that the reduction of the gospel to substitutionary atonement alone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. left out so much. And and then you end up with a distortion. Mm. And you know, anti, a, a anti, reduction yeah, is a distortion. When we reduce it, it, it will down. always lead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Even if the part of it is correct, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if you but you you've left out the rest of the story, and so you'll end up telling the wrong story. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. substitutionary atonement by itself, if you say that that is the whole gospel, that's the whole mm-hmm. good news, mm-hmm. um, you end up with, you know, what N.T. Wright said. It's it, it's a you end up almost twisting. John three sixteen to God so hated the world mm-hmm. that he murdered his son so that you can maybe go to heaven when you die if you say the right prayer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's what happened to me was I, I began, to, I, I shrunk the gospel. That, that was a shrunken gospel mm-hmm. and therefore a distorted gospel. I mean, there's a prosperity gospel too. 
um, give sacrificially to this ministry and you, you're going to get rich. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of versions. And and again, you know, th- that's not bad either. Sacrificial giving is a good thing. Right. But doing it for just getting rich is not. So I just started looking at these various ways that we say that's the gospel. And I thought, no, it's a reduction and distortion. And, and boom, 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 here we go. Mm-hmm. They're not, it's not beautiful, good, and true anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Complete it. What was missing from these reductions? Well, so many things. Um, first of all, the Trinity. The Trinity mm-hmm. isn't at all in, in any of those three. And I know I spent more on the first two, but um, the Trinity is missing. Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit aren't in the Good Works Gospel. It, it's, it's, as I said, it's more deism. Um, the Substitutionary Atonement Gospel, uh, the Holy Spirit isn't in it at all. Mm-hmm. And you really almost have the Father and the Son at odds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the Father <laughs> saying, I really want to whack them, you know, right. and Jesus going, come on, dad, uh, I'll take it you know? mm-hmm. as if God, the father wasn't participatory in the passion. And so it's missing the Trinity. It's missing creation. Um, the, the first sign of God's love. Uh, it's missing the story of the people of Israel. Mm-hmm. You don't have, uh, I mean, Jesus is the answer to the story of Israel, right? He's the, mm-hmm. the solution, but it, it leaves all of that out. Uh, it leaves out discipleship and formation, you know, mm-hmm. in the, in the Renovari world, which we care about, uh, is that neither one of those gospels naturally lead to discipleship. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't make you then go, okay, now I want to live as Jesus' apprentice. They just go on the first part. Well, I got to work myself till I die because you know I got a lot of work to do to fix mm-hmm. this world. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, you know, well, I'm just waiting to die mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. why would I? I'm saved. So. Um, so yeah, it leaves so much out. The picture, the picture is so much bigger and broader and and more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also it's a distorted view of heaven because it makes heaven to be a fluffy place far away. Right. When when the actual teaching of the New Testament is that Jesus inaugurated the new creation, mm-hmm. uh, and that we're already participating in. Well, it'll be consummated in the new heavens and new earth. But the idea of the fluffy place that you go to when you die. That's that's Greek. That's Platonic. That's not that's not uh, Christian. It's not mm-hmm. the New Testament, mm-hmm. and yet it's a dominant part of that gospel, right? And you can go to heaven when you die. That's the fourth mm-hmm. step in the steps, right? <laughs> and uh, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what I discovered in my research, and this is with N.T. Wright and Scott McKnight, great influence on me in terms of understanding historically how we got there was that it, that way to frame the gospel, the, the second one, the substitutionary atonement, uh, you don't even see in the reformers. You don't see it until the, uh, the revivalists. Hmm. And, uh, and then it, it takes root in the 20th century uh, more so because it became a very handy, quick mm-hmm. way to get people, sa- quote, unquote, saved. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it'll, it'll scare the hell out of you. That's the point. Right, right. And so fear is a very powerful <laughs> motivator. <laughs> Uh, you know, we have a here in Wichita, we have uh, every Halloween, they have this thing called Hell House. And it's a haunted house <laughs> where you go through and they show all these people, people who died. They were sinners of some form or another. And now they're they're dying and burning. And uh, and at the end, you know, you get your chance to I don't want to burn here. Let's, what do you want? What's the prayer? Right. Right. So Fears are very it's a, it's effective. Yeah. Right. But it's not telling the, the good news, and it doesn't naturally lead to discipleship or loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are you saying historically that that kind of gospel really didn't come until the 50s? 
in the states? Is that well, you see it very clearly. Yeah, in in the in the yeah, in the 1940s and 50s, it became the more dominant way, particularly amongst evangelicals, to to frame the gospel. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, Wesley's not going to give you that. Um, Luther and Calvin aren't going to give you that. And certainly, you go back more and more, you're not going to see that as the way of framing it. Um, Scott McKnight's done really fantastic work in showing the historical development of that mm-hmm. way of framing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's a dominant for many Christians in the states. Yeah, that's why this. That's why I'm going to get. I'm going to ruffle so many feathers with this book because it is the dominant way of of framing it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, my hope for the book is that people will begin to just step back for a second mm-hmm. and say, "Okay, can I can I push this out?" Because narrative change involves you have to objectify the narrative and just say, "Okay, there's the narrative," mm-hmm. and then and then look at it. Does it? And for me, and because I'm also a Wesleyan guy. I evaluate things on the basis of the quadrilateral of scripture, mm-hmm. tradition, reason, and experience. Mm-hmm. So is it, is it biblically substantiated? Has this been the teaching of the church tradition? And, um, in, you know, by reason, does it make sense really? Does that, mm-hmm. does that, does that fit together logically? And then by experience that, you know, what does it naturally lead to? Mm-hmm. Is it a gospel that's naturally leading me to go, Wow, I love God. This is amazing. <laughs> what a story. You know, but our, our story should, and it does, if you if you let it see it in its fullness, if you mm-hmm. don't reduce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's almost it kind of, there's so much more in this story for us, and we get to participate in this, and we get to move deeper and deeper into beauty, goodness, and truth. Yeah. With this. yeah. Those three things that we're naturally, we long for them, you know, that that's the why they're transcendental because they transcend everything else. Like things can change and there's relatively relativity, subjectivity, all that immutability or, or and mutability. Like we, things change. The transcendentals don't beauty, mm-hmm. goodness, truth will always stand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, even in, in post-modernity, I think there's still very profound concepts for us to study where we think, well, there's no real truth. There's beauty either eye the beholder and, Mm-hmm. No one's really good and all that sort of thing. I think more than ever, we need the transcendentals to come to the forefront because the truth is one of the three. The truth is that we're, we'll always be longing for beauty. We love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's innate within us. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we when we see something beautiful, we it stops us in our tracks. It, it we yeah. Yeah. we look at it and we don't even, even know the what's most going. distorted people. Even the most people. absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. They'll people just they gaze at the Grand Canyon and they just go, "Wow." But mm-hmm. the thing about beauty is that beauty is actually penultimate. The ultimate is God. So when I see something beautiful, if I just focus on it, I've just created an idol. Mm-hmm. Because what beauty's supposed to do is push me up to gratitude to see mm-hmm. to be grateful that there's a God who said. I'm going to make really beautiful stuff. And I'm going to give them five senses. They can see it, <laughs> hear it, taste it, smell it. Uh, and, and, and they will, they love it no matter what. Well, I think that's why when Dostoevsky, uh, Dostoevsky said beauty will save the world. Um, and Solzhenitsyn quoted that in a commencement address at Harvard. And he said that in the age where we are now, truth and goodness aren't quite as strong, but beauty is so powerful mm. that it, it overcomes 
even that. And that was his, I think he gave that in the early nineties. If I remember it was, I mean, a ways back now. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a bold prediction because it is true. And James Chong is an evangelist for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and he told me that um, he believes the the only thing the millennials will be drawn to is beauty. Mm-hmm. You're not going to mm-hmm. argue them as you did the baby boomers into mm-hmm. the truth. Uh, in the, that's they're going to be drawn to. Is it beautiful? Mm-hmm. And we can rely on God, in the gospel story. Yeah, it's beauty. Yeah. Good. It's beauty, goodness, and it's truth. Yeah, mm-hmm. truth. Truth is that which we can rely on. Truth is that which is aligned with reality. Uh, it works. You can count on it. That's also what we're, Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And and He is the truth. We can count on Him. Mm-hmm. Turns out Jesus is also beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even on the cross. I mean, Balthazar said Christ on the cross was the highest form of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and. And certainly goodness, my, I mean, Jesus, it says in the New Testament, he went about doing good. <laughs> you never see him doing bad. Even when you think he might be doing something bad, he's, you know, in the, driving the folks out of the, you know, the money changers. He's still doing good. You know? mm-hmm. he, and, uh, but I think the key, Nate, is the, what I've been discovering is the difficulty of changing the the comfortable ways you have of understanding God and the gospel. You know, Richard Rohr talks about, you got to meet him. Didn't you guys meet mm-hmm. Richard? I did. Yeah. I, I, I had I, lunch with him on my birthday. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> Father Rohr, he's yeah, pretty, I, I dig the dude. He, um, in his book, Fall, I think, I think it's Falling Upward, he talks about how when we grow up, we, we're given a certain sort of box, mm-hmm. a way in which we understand who God is and who we are and, and I, I would say the gospel, we, there's a little, and, and that brings order. So Rohr says, mm-hmm. we need order. So it makes sense. I, and I become very comfortable mm-hmm. with that order. Mm-hmm. But then what happens to us is eventually um, life happens, and maybe those, that original box mm-hmm. doesn't make sense, which is what happened in my own experience. And then you, you go from order to disorder. Mm-hmm. It messes you up because now it's like, oh, can I trust the things I was taught? Um, do I do I throw the whole thing out? And so a lot of people will just stay in bo- the, the first box, in mm-hmm. the order box, because it's just more comfortable. Yeah. And if and if someone disagrees with them, then they just fight. Right. It's, just a, argue. it's a black and white. It's yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tribalism. It's us against them, and they just sort of dig into that box, even if they're unhappy. Mm-hmm. But the people who have the courage to kind of step into the disorder, um, and that's not a, a comfortable place to be, but it does create the possibility of moving into what Rourke calls the third, which is reorder. Mm-hmm. And that is where you begin to piece it together. And here's the good thing. People like me, right, that got the substitutionary atonement gospel, the, the evangelical approach that's so common. I, when I made the, the shift into the disorder and then into the reorder, what I was able to do was say, you know what? There's a lot in that first box that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the cross, the way of understanding that, it's true. Sub- substitutionary atonement is not wrong, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's not everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it turns out that on Good Friday, Jesus, the whole world was changed. Not not just sins forgiven, but the principalities and powers were defeated. Uh, the chance to transfer us into a new revolution, into the kingdom of his beloved son. I mean, it, all this stuff happened. So for me, the the reordering was much easier because I had so many good things from the from mm-hmm. the first box of order, 
And I, and I guess I, I hope that for this book that people, uh, don't just chuck it and go, he's saying stuff I've not, I've never, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that they'll give it a chance to say, okay, maybe, maybe I can take what was good in the original and then, and then enlarge it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see that it's, it's even bigger and better than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or talked about how you have to build the box before you can destroy it or that it's, it's important right. to kind of set those parameters. Yeah, and yeah, and you're not saying that those things weren't important. You're going beyond and saying there's there's much more. There's a beautiful story here. Uh, discipleship transformation is possible. Kingdom here and yeah. now. I mean, this is uh, this is where you're taking us. Uh, yeah, in this. That's the idea. I mean, the other thing that's wrong with with all three of those gospels uh, is that they start in the wrong place. They start with us. You mm-hmm. know, they start with. You got to make the world better, Nate. Or Nate, you're a horrible sinner. Or mm-hmm. Nate, you want to get rich? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, <laughs> you can't start the story with us. We're too we're puny. <laughs> the story starts with the real hero, and that's God. Mm-hmm. That that God was before all creation, the sweet society of the Trinity, mm-hmm. who had this idea of creating this beautiful world. That Jesus was was not just a guy who was born 2000 years ago. He's the cosmic Christ who has been around and it starts with this, the glory of who God is. And then God creating and saying, it's good. It's good. It's good. Mm. It's very good. And then, you know, working it through with the people where people were ready to have a, a, a real connection with God and then messing that up. And then here comes God in the flesh mm. out of love. And he takes Israel. he, he he, well, he, he does with Israel what the, those boxes, right? Because there was a lot of good in Judaism, but there's a lot of stuff that needed to be, you know, there's a lot of legalism and ritualism and, uh, you know, the, the, the kingdom was captive to that ethnicity. The things needed to change, and it did. But Jesus was like, there's good in Judaism, but look, it's bigger. And same mm-hmm. thing. And he lives this incredible life and dies this death for us and and then ascends and has – you know, he'll come back and this, this new heaven and new earth is here. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, while we're at me ruffling feathers with this book, I mean, <laughs> I have, I even have a chapter that, that attacks the left behind uh, approach. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, it's not biblical to me. It's, it, it's, uh, it's another scary story mm-hmm. and it does scare some people and I don't want to be left behind, but, um, that's not the, the vision. Um, and I got, I had, I had to really do my homework to make sure I could, substantiate that 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 i call it the scary ending um, mm-hmm. is also not beautiful good and true mm. there's a better one though ah. it's really good. yeah which is the new heavens and the new earth you mm-hmm. know but that's that's what he's that's what he's inaugurated you know we just think oh, this world's let it go to hell who cares about this this earth well it's, it, it's going to be a new earth a new heaven a new earth it'll be different it'll, i mean jesus resurrected body was his body but it was in in many ways unrecognizable right Mm -hmm. to to people who saw him in the same sense the new heavens and new earth uh will be amazing but it's it's not destroying this horrible thing Mm -hmm. it's it's recreating Mm -hmm. the new creation and it also (laughs) it also should make us feel somewhat responsible for this this planet too as opposed Mm -hmm. to saying it's just going to rot away Right, right. While I'm in the fluffy place, it it's interesting because there's you've got. I mean, you're taking some chances with this, right? I mean, you're you're stepping out, but you've clearly done your done your homework to it. 
Um, but this isn't a theological book. This is a book about stories. Yeah. Yes. Tell us, yeah. tell us that piece. Yeah. Cause it is a grand story. We love stories. We were made for stories. Uh, we want to be in a story. Uh, I tell, I tell a story in the book about the true story. We were buying a car from this, this car dealership. And when we were in this, we were signing the papers in the guy's cubicle, the salesman's cubicle. I noticed there was a set of, uh, Pez dispensers, a mm-hmm. collector's set, and it was all of the characters of Lord of the Rings. Okay. That's the only thing he had in his cubicle. He's a single <laughs> guy. He didn't have family pictures. Yeah. And so I said, well, you know, you're a big Lord of the Rings fan? Oh, big fan. I said, what's your favorite book or movie? And he said, oh, I love them all equally. I couldn't pick. And I said, okay. I said, so he watched them all, I guess. And he goes, yeah, well, I watch them every night. And I said, <laughs> you're, di- you're just exaggerating. Like, every night. He goes, no, every night. Every night I go home. I make some food, I sit down, I hit play, wherever I stopped last time, I watch and then go to bed. And I thought as I drove home, that's crazy. <laughs> but then, then I thought, well, why though? Why, why would he do that? Because he wants to be a part of an epic story. Mm-hmm. And it's an epic story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good and evil. It's courage and uh, fighting off these, you know, it's, it's, it's all it's in just, there. Yeah, it's all there. All. Everything mm-hmm. is in there. Even some romance, right? A little bit. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's magical and it's exciting. It's enchanting. And so that's what we're made for. We love, love stories. Um, but, you know, theology, it, it works. You know, it's the understanding God, understanding God through story. It's pro- this is probably the most theological book I've written in terms of. I've had a few people say that. Going, wow, you're doing some heavy mm. lifting theologically. And it. so it, it does. Um, not that I wanted to, but I knew that, you know, back to those boxes analogy, if you're going to help people, mm-hmm. uh, you, you got to substantiate it and look, scripture, tradition, reason, experience are telling us another story. Mm-hmm. Well, but you take it with helping people to kind of their own story in that and their kind of some of the false narratives and how that affects them and helping write a new story. Is that, yeah. Does that say it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, because we're all going to come from different places. uh, But, you know, what's I mean, I like to say, you know, what's your story? Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't really want to know where you grew up and who you're married to and what you do for a living. I want to know what's the story you're you're living by. What's the story that is shaping who you are? Because that's how it works. We we are shaped by stories and. Mm Uh, our, our, our massive souls deserve a really good story. <laughs> a true story. Yeah. A beautiful, a beautiful good story one. and a good <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is, tell us about quickly about the other two in the series journey and mission. Yeah. The second, the second, um, is the magnificent journey. And there, um, it's sort of saying, look, if you've stepped into this magnificent story, how, how is that going to affect your journey as a Christian? What's mm-hmm. going to be different? And essentially what, what I say is going to be different is, first of all, you're going to experience eternal life. Mm-hmm. Because eternal life is not a life after you die. It's a quality of life now, which John seventeen three says, uh, and this is eternal life, that they would know God the Father and Jesus whom he sent. No, interactive knowledge, relational knowledge of God is eternal life. So that's what the story tells me first. I get to have a life with God now, right? Mm-hmm. The I think the with God life. 
and that's eternal life. And so uh, I experienced that. And if I stay within that, I'm going to discover grace, which is God's power in our lives uh, to do what we can do. Um, we're going to discover uh, ways that we can get to know God in a, in a deeper way. And then knowledge will lead us to uh, faith because faith is an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. That's the, the good Dr. Willard's definition and um, faith. And then we're going to have hope, which is confidence in my future. And then I'm, so it's really the development of the virtues, I guess is probably mm-hmm. the simplest way. Faith, hope, love, joy, power, wisdom, uh, if you live into this story, this is the journey that it should take you on. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. idea of the second book. Mm-hmm. And then the third idea is it's uh, The Magnificent Mission, and the subtitle is uh, Called and Sent by the Storyteller. So the idea behind that book is that uh, we're, we're not on this earth just to wait to heaven, to wait for heaven when we die. We're not also here just to build bigger churches. We're actually on a mission, a mission to um, be a light for Christ. I mean, you know— uh, to positively and Jesus was was the first kind of missionary in a sense he came here to tell us a new story and to invite us into a new life and I think that's what we're called to do as Christians so mm-hmm. story journey mission very good very good well, I like how you've I mean you've spent years um, studying Dallas's work spent a lot of time with my dad and 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 you're you're kind of moving forward with a lot of these kind of core ideas and uh, touching some new areas. So it's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I am uh, most blessed to have had great mentors and teachers like uh, Richard and Dallas and, and some others along the way. And I want to be a good steward of that because that's a gift that I was given. And, uh, you know, not, I don't want to just keep repeating what they said, but to try to take what they were (laughs) teaching and expand and find newer ways uh, because it's, you know, and both Richard and Dallas would be the first to tell you that they didn't, they didn't tell everything that was to be told. They mm-hmm. were faithful in the, in their time and service to, to be a witness. And obviously the impact those two men have had is uh, so substantial. I don't think you can measure it. So yeah, but thank you, Nate. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thanks you too, for, brother. Thanks for chatting. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Again, Jim's book is titled The Magnificent Story, Uncovering a Gospel of Beauty, Goodness, and Truth. I didn't have a chance to talk to him about it, but the Apprentice Institute has an upcoming event in Wichita, Kansas. You can find more information at ApprenticeGathering.org. I'm sure many of you are already planning on attending. Hey, thanks for listening, and have a great week.